Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is Jay Swords. This is our podcast extension for show 492. Our guest today is Toby Payone, Uniserve Director for the Iowa State Education Association. And we are going to be talking about the 2022 elections in Iowa. The history buffs joining us are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. Ed, why don't you start us off? Thanks, Jay. Toby, can you talk a little bit about some of the down-ballot races at the state level? The one that that I'm have a little bit of knowledge about is the uh, race for the state treasurer where incumbent Michael Fitzgerald, who has been there for a long, long time, against our local Senator Roby Smith, who has made no secret that he intends to use the bully pulpit of the treasurer's office or use it as a bully pop, uh, pulpit to lobby for tax cuts. And this isn't in his job description. Give a sense of how that might play or if, if anybody else has ever done this on any of these, you know, down-ballot races. And usually the down-ballot races don't get a lot of attention until very late in the election. I have not seen any campaign commercials on, you know, television or radio or uh, I have seen a couple of snippets here and there on social media. Most people are going to view those down-ballot races not as a platform for doing something that's outside of their own lane, if you will. Uh, If Robbie Smith wants to run on that type of platform, he has every right to do it, but uh, he has a tough uphill battle. He's going up against a guy who's been in that office for a long time and has not had any scandals or any any issues. Who knows? Maybe Smith is using it as a means to promote himself for even a higher office if he gets elected. I think there's some doubt whether that's actually going to happen or not. Okay. Terry. Yeah. Uh, Toby, can you talk about like what type of ID must we have for registered Iowa voters to bring uh, to the ballots, to the polls, excuse me? Uh, so you have to have something that actually, I believe, has to have your address on it. It can be a driver's license if you have a driver's license, a voter ID card, which you can get from your county auditor's office. You can also use a utility bill, uh, a, an apartment lease, or something that actually has your address on it with your name, of course, that should be good enough for you to be able to cast your ballot. Toby, I'm wondering if there is an issue that you see playing that isn't getting as much attention in the media or whatever, but seems to really resonate. Is there something that's going to influence the election in ways that people aren't going to predict? Yes. I I actually think young voters um, and the way younger voters view the 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 government, they, they view their own future. Um, I have uh, three, actually four, my son is actually living with us temporarily, uh, four of us at uh, under, you know, millennials, Gen Z, whatever. Right, whatever know, that is. Whatever that is. <laughs> and they have a very different view of the world than my point of view in the sense that um, – they are uh, much more p- politically astute than you think they are. They're listening to podcasts all the time. They're listening to uh, various – they get their news a lot differently than I did when I was growing up. I was a newspaper reader uh, ad nauseum. Um, they don't read. They listen. Um, 
or they watch. YouTube is huge with young young kids and um, people in their 20s. Um, and they really do have different wants and needs than we did when we were growing up. Um, so I think uh, – and, and there are more and more of them. They're, you know, they're now coming of age. All four kids in my house, they all now vote and they want to vote. Um, and they have different expectations. And I, I think uh, if they turn out in this election like uh, like they should um, and like I expect them to, um, they could have a pretty sizable influence on the outcome of the election. Okay. Ed. Yeah. Um, one of the things as a Scott County resident, one of the races that I think about a lot is the race for county auditor where Kerry Tompkins was appointed by the Republican Board of Supervisors uh, in a rather clandestine or at the very least surreptitious manner. They refused to uh, publicly say who they were going to nominate, and obviously they refused to have an election. And it speaks volumes to me about her personal sense of ethics that she allowed herself to be a part of this. But given what's happened with the... uh, Um, criminalization of innocent mistakes by poll workers, um, is it inconceivable, without picking on her, but is it inconceivable that some really partisan county auditor um, might look the other way at Republicans working as poll workers as opposed to Democrats? And then are we, am I now going to have to think about who my county attorney is as well? Perhaps. um, You know, (laughs) When people get elected to public office, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, uh, you would expect them or hope that they would roll the ball down the middle of the lane and not favor one side or the other. Um, I, I, I don't know uh, Miss Tompkins well. I've met her a few times and have talked to her. Um, I hope that that's not the way she is going to conduct her office or has conducted her office. I think your fear, though, is legitimate and should be recognized and should be questioned of her and any other candidate who is running for office that, hey, you may be running on a Republican ballot or a Democratic ballot, but when you get elected, you are the auditor or the attorney for the entire county, irrespective of that person's partisanship. Um, How are you going to deal with a person who may not think or vote or act the way that you you do? I think that's a totally legitimate question of them, to them. Toby, you brought up the idea of redistricting um, earlier in this podcast. I'm just curious, of those districts that, that were reconfigured, um, are there particular districts that, that did it play more to Democrats than Republicans or vice versa? Um, is there Are there cases where two popular incumbents are now dropped into the same district? How does that all look like it's going to play out? Well, um, that's a great question. Um, one district that a lot of people across Iowa are looking at, and, and I don't know the number. I apologize for the specific number, but it's Philistheti is the current incumbent. And her district here in Scott County was drawn 
uh, with more Republican voters in it than she's had before. Phyllis is a Democrat, and she has a competitive race that she is running. Um, she's won pretty easily in the last several elections because she's been a very active uh campaigner and she uh, is a popular incumbent, but uh, she's got a tougher race. Uh, much of her district goes out into Eldridge, for example, uh, and covers more of Bettendorf, although she lives in Bettendorf. So she's got a tougher race. On the other hand, um, further to the west, uh, Monica Kurth, who is a state representative, and Cindy Winkler, who's a state rep who's running for the state senator, Senate seat, they don't have any opposition. And the reason they don't have any opposition is those were drawn with a lot of a lot more Democratic votes than Republican votes, so the Republicans didn't even put up any candidate to run against them. The one race that in Scott County that I'm looking at the most is uh, Craig Cooper, who uh, is a Democrat running uh, for the state house against Luana Stoltenberg. Uh, as a Republican, and it's kind of northwest Davenport um, and goes out, I think, toward Walcott. Um, it, they, they are very divergent in terms of their uh, stances on things. And I would encourage the people listening to this program to look at the biographies and the campaign stances of those two candidates because they are miles apart. Interesting. Ed. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'll go back to the local stuff here. Um, I, uh, I'm concerned about the board of supervisors, um, with this whole jail juvenile detention center. Is that all water under the bridge at this point? I don't know if it's water under the bridge. There were a couple issues with regards to the juvenile detention center. Um, first, what, well, there are three, a, did one need to, a new one need to be built? Um, I think there was general consensus that the answer was yes. If you've ever been to the juvenile detention center in downtown Davenport, it's small. It was a former office building that was converted into a jail, and it really is outmoded. And I think the whether you supported or opposed a reconfiguration of the juvenile detention center just about everybody has said we need a new one it depends on how it's funded and depends on you know the size and scope of it the second issue is the funding of of the juvenile detention center and i think that ha actually has been decided it, originally the um, the majority party on the board of supervisors wanted covid relief funds uh, from the federal government to pay for the new juvenile detention center and not be paid for out of the out of the general fund or out of the building fund of Scott County. Sort of like buying a building on free money. Okay. It wasn't something that the even though the taxpayers did pay for all that, it's not taxpayers directly from Scott County. And the fortunately and I, I think it was a fiasco to have a building purchased with COVID relief funds. I think that's just a bad, that's bad public policy. And the county now has found a way to fund it through county dollars, not through federal dollars. But the third issue, which is still in contention, is the size and scope of the juvenile detention center. 
The current juvenile detention center is relatively small. I don't know the actual number of beds, but it may be a dozen. Six, Sixteen, six, twelve with four emergency. Right, yeah. So it's and a new one. They're looking at the possibility of over forty. Okay, so double the size. Um, do we have that number of juveniles who need to be detained? Um, there's a, there's a whole idea that if you build it, you've got to fill it. Okay, um, and who do you fill that with? Well, these are kids who are essentially going to, who are spending time in a jail. A juvenile detention center is a jail. Don't make any mistake about it. If you've ever been in one, you'll know it's it's a lockdown facility. Um, Davenport may, or Scott County, because it would be located in Davenport, Scott County might be utilizing the juvenile detention center as a means to gain income, i.e., uh, Youth who are arrested in Muscatine or Clinton or some other county might be brought to Scott County and then uh, housed here. And then Scott County charges, let's say, Muscatine County for the cost of housing that that child um, who's been arrested in Muscatine or Clinton or wherever. That is a huge question. And some people question about why are we detaining these kids versus having some sort of outreach to them so they don't commit crimes in the first place. And one of the things that's not common knowledge and not been picked up by the media, um, and I went to an informational meeting sponsored by Ken Crokin about a year ago, but the state of Iowa has a statutory cap on the number of beds, total beds in the state for in juvenile detention centers, and the 40-bed facility would put the state as a whole over capacity. Okay. In other words, the proposal for 40 beds is a violation of existing state law. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, according okay. to Ken Crokin. Mm-hmm. Or, or unless something else changed. You'd have to, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Well, and we've, along we've seen this, one of our board members, we've seen John Maxwell violate the state law only to have his buddy Robbie Smith and the, and the Republican cronies at the state level changed the law. Well, and you can always do that too. We're going to have to wrap things up here. We want to thank our guests for this 492nd show, Toby Payone, Uniserve Director for the Iowa State Education Association. We've been talking about the 2022 elections in Iowa. Our history buffs for today were Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights on KALA Radio or on the web at TuneIn.com. If you're looking for older programs, you'll find them at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio, all one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.